As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G. Today, I am joined by Scott and Cam from the Spy Hearts Podcast. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us aboard. So why don't you two, I guess... Whichever one wants to start, take a minute and tell everybody about your show. Sure. Uh, well, we are the Spy Hards podcast. Basically, every Tuesday, we cover a spy movie, the best spy movies or the worst spy movies, uh, to figure out if they make the knock list, which is basically the need-to-see official classics of the Spy Hards podcast. Cam? Yeah, so we'll talk about everything from James Bond, Mission Impossible, Jason Bourne, all the kind of popular stuff that people love. But we also like diving into some of the more obscure stuff, you know, um, some of the episodes we've done recently, we did, for example, you know, Where Eagles Dare, the Clint Eastwood World War II spy film, or we do a lot of the Hitchcock stuff. We like to bounce all over the place and look at really the broad canvas of what spy movies are. Awesome. Awesome. Be sure to check that out. They're available everywhere. Yeah, everywhere you go, you know, you can go to spyhards.com and find us on Podbean or anywhere you get podcasts, for sure. Spies, awesome. we are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. So today we're going to be talking about... A movie from what is it, 1992? I think it came out, directed yeah. by David Lynch. Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. There is no other person who could have known where it was. Did Bobby give you this? Or is there someone new? Your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. You made me write it all down. Don't do that. She doesn't like that. How do you know what she likes? Stop that! Just like my Laura. It's yours! Don't make me do this! guys first see this movie you see it when it came out well i was uh, i was the age of five when it came out so i i was not allowed to see this film oh, okay okay yeah um i thought I, you were gonna I, say you had seen it at five <laughs> I, like, I snuck in and just uh was just screaming whenever cheryl lee started screaming as well 
Um, no, I, uh, I I caught this film about ten years ago when I did my uh, I first got on to Twin Peaks basically, and I uh, I binged the first two seasons in the movie, uh, and then was left wholly unsatisfied for a very long time, and then uh, and then I convinced Cam to watch Twin Peaks. Yeah, so I've been a big David Lynch fan for a long time. Mulholland Drive is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love Blue Velvet, um, Wild at Heart, Lost Highway. But I'd always put off watching Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me because I'd never watched the TV show. And, you know, I was always like, okay, I don't want to watch that movie. I've heard it's great, but I don't want to watch it unless I've seen the show. And I am the worst person in the world about committing to TV shows. There are so many shows I've just never gotten around to. I finally, just this past year, watched The Sopranos. So... I'm very late to the party with a lot of great TV shows, but Scott um, and a friend of ours, Jay, was very much on me to watch Twin Peaks. So I finally took the dive and I watched the movie um, after finishing the first couple seasons of the original run of the show, um, maybe about nine months ago or something like that. And uh, maybe a little bit less than that. And um, I was really knocked over by it. And I think it's a really interesting sort of pivot point for David Lynch where you can kind of see his earlier stuff, which has a little more of a linear narrative, like Blue Velvet, for example, or Wild at Heart. And then the stuff that comes later, which gets really crazy. And I feel like in some ways, Fire Walk With Me sort of represents that kind of dividing line. Okay. See, I guess I need to revisit or actually visit some more Lynch because I think my real only experience is Eraserhead. And that movie is also mm. like, what in the world is this? Like, what is going on in this world? And to be fair, that is a very experimental film. He sort of goes a little more audience friendly with Blue Velvet. But yeah, Racerhead, which I actually just bought today, the Criterion of, uh, is an <laughs> amazing movie. Yeah, right. Coincidentally, just bought it today. So yeah. So tell people a little bit, tell people what this movie is about. Oh, God. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> this is a four hour podcast. Okay, let's do this. Twi Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, in, in a nutshell, uh, the elevator pitch is it's a cinematic follow-up to the Twin Peaks show without being a follow-up to the Twin Peaks show. It's the story of how Laura Palmer died. And the, the TV show is about Laura Palmer dying and who killed Laura Palmer. So this is kind of like, it's basically the prequel. Yeah, it's interesting in that it's a prequel that is almost for no one because I feel like a lot of Twin Peaks fans really great on the movie because it doesn't have the the humor of the show or a lot of the characters that people love on the show aren't in the movie or they get like 10 seconds of screen time. Right. Um, the movie is sort of this interesting beast of it's very focused on its themes. Like it actually, I think is united as a whole, even if it looks like a mess, it has a very consistent through line with its themes, but it's also, it's both a fan friendly film and also not a fan friendly film and also a new film for people that haven't watched the show and is entirely not going to work for those people. So it exists in this interesting world where I, I wonder how much of it works as something for people who, you know, say are new to David Lynch versus people that really love David Lynch and are looking for more of what he does on screen. So I guess we'll touch on the show itself. And then have you guys seen The Return? Did you watch that when it came out? Mm -hmm. I'm actually rewatching it right now for like the third time. Oh, so I, I just finished it um, about what, three weeks ago, Scott, something like yeah. that a month. Yeah. So it's fairly fresh in my mind. And so you guys would recommend watching the return as well i would actually say that the return it i mean it's a phenomenal season of television mm -hmm. and i would say you will actually then go back and if you watch fire walk with me we'll actually get meaning out of that movie 
from the return. Like it actually does add a lot to the movie. So Firewalk with me, despite it's maybe intense, I don't know that it stands alone spectacularly well, but in terms of the wider universe of Twin Peaks, it really does work. David Lynch is the kind of guy you would think wouldn't want to reference his own work and have continuity and stuff like that. But the return really actually feels like he's actually gone back, watched Firewalk with me and gone, right, here's all the questions. Let's give them some answers, but not quite the answers they were expecting. Okay, so I guess you definitely would recommend, what, I don't know, the first season, half of the second season? Is that about? I, well, yeah, I mean, the, the second season of Twin Peaks is a mess. David Lynch leaves at a certain point to go shoot um, Wild at Heart, and other writers take over, and it kind of becomes almost like a parody of itself. But you kind of have to fight your way through season two. There's little bits and pieces that do pay off later down the road. It's just that... The second half of season two is not the most thrilling journey, I would say. I mean, we're all there to see what happens to Josie, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I recommend, I recognize Josie immediately. And I'm like, of course, I would recognize her because she was in a single episode of Tales from the Crypt that I remember called Food for Thought. And I recognize her immediately. Yeah, for that small role. She's probably done more important stuff. But I recognize her because I'm a huge Tales from the Crypt fan. I, no, 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 Scott. She hasn't done... I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I've never seen her anything else. So my uh, gut instinct was to make a funny face. Okay. <laughs> like I recognized a ton of people like Match and Amick. I know because she was Sleepwalkers. I'm a horror guy. Yeah. I go immediately to horror. She was in Stephen King's Sleepwalkers directed by Mick Garris. Crazy movie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I showed that to a friend a year or two ago because he, he, he's a cat lover. So I'm like, you know what? You got to see this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It blew his mind. Yeah. In terms of like Twin Peak and setting up Firewalk with me, I think I would always recommend people just watch the show. And and as as Cam said, just push yourself through season two. It does have its fun moments in the latter episodes, especially the last episode when um, David Lynch actually comes back uh, to direct and write the last episode. He, he tries to sort of correct the course of the series at the oh, wow. at the end, but it was too late at that point. Um, it had already been cancelled, so oh. he just kind of left it on a question mark. And this movie does not answer any of those questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I didn't make it through season. I was going to ask that, but okay, you're right. Okay, so it does not answer the questions. Does the return answer any of those questions? <laughs> I remember, this is kind of a funny side anecdote that relates to your question, actually. Um, with Mulholland Drive, um, amazing movie, very enigmatic. And I remember Roger Ebert used to have a column where he would answer questions from movie fans. And when uh, Mulholland Drive hit video, he got a lot of questions asking about the meaning, the interpretations, and enclosed in the DVD from Mulholland Drive was a list of hints to understanding the movie. And I remember reading this list of hints and being like, just scratching my head going like, I don't understand what this means. And one of them was like, take a look at what color the lamp is, that sort of thing. And I remember Roger Ebert said, I feel like the hints only mean anything if you completely understand the answers and David Lynch doesn't give the answers. And that's kind of the way I feel like Twin Peaks works as you keep going through the return. Yes, it's answering the question sort of, but it helps if you understand exactly the thought behind the making of it, which only David Lynch does or Mark Frost, the original writer on the show. Well, Mark Frost is the guy I feel like who made the narrative thread. I feel like David Lynch left to himself would have made season one even a weird place. Um, and he doesn't return for Firewalk with me, unfortunately. Uh, there were some disagreements between the two of them. So I, I think one of the reasons why Firewalk with me turned out the way it did is because it didn't have him in the didn't have Frost in the production. Well, I'm curious, you know, Josh, you just 
like streamlined through mm-hmm. the first season of Twin Peaks and watched Fire Walk with me. What did you think of the tones of the two? Because they do feel, I think, quite different, the show versus the movie. I agree. I do. I agree. I, I agree. Fire Walk with me had it took me back more to Razorhead, which is my only experience with Lynch. Because I, I mean, I know it's not ex- as experimental wise, but just I'm trying to find a hard way to explain it. <laughs> the overall tone. Yeah, it's just that Lynchian tone. It, it feels it a little bit more, a more of a uh, what What am I watching here? I don't even know. I, I, I'm going to have to go back and revisit all of this and do it as on a slower course. So I'm not binging too much and taking too much in at once. I mean, props to you. That is a uh, heck of a. <laughs> amount of work to have dumped on you and the fact you fought through as much as you did is very impressive especially trying to take in Twin Peaks in such a short amount of time I mean when I worked through the first season I was doing like maybe an episode a night because (laughs) that's what I should have done (laughs) yeah it's not like a bingeable show nowadays we're programmed to watch shows that you can just burn through four episodes in a row yeah yeah good good following the plot points sure thing um Twin Peaks has so much heaviness to it that you almost want that break to kind of digest what's going on you see, I would kind of, uh, I, I don't know, I'm not sure I agree with you there, there Cam. No. I, I, I kind of watched Twin Peaks originally about 10 years ago. I, I watched most of it kind of on and off and didn't really get it. And then about six years ago, maybe eight years ago, I watched all of season one on a flight back home from Las Vegas, one of our trips. Uh, the entire first season was on the flight and it's about eight hours and my flight is 12. So I watched every episode in a row. And I was captivated. I, it, I, I couldn't stop watching. People were sleeping. It was an overnight flight. And I was like, give me more Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder how much of that plays because you, you had at least seen it off and on before that. The first time, I don't know that it's a bingeable show. And it could be just that you, you maybe if I had more experience with Lynch itself, maybe I'd have a different experience. I don't know. I definitely am going to go back and revisit this. Overall, I'm not a fan of, of binge watching. I, I generally recommend people to try and give themselves at least an episode a day or something like that right. if you're going to watch a show, just to at least think about what you saw. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I felt because I was watching two, I think I watched three or four one day, trying it. Yeah, and I was just like, oh my goodness, my mind is melting here. <laughs> did you struggle with the characters though or anything like that? Or did you did you get it quite quickly? Some Sometimes I was like, okay, this is going on, this person, okay, yeah. I did struggle a little bit. So I need to, like I said, I got to go back and take it slower. Mm. Cause I, even in nowadays, I am still have not become one of the binge watching people. I do not binge watch television. I will, I can do one a night, but I don't like to do two and three and four in a row. That's not how I become as a TV viewer at all. So I have not adapted to those times. Well, it's interesting because we're talking about, you know, whether you need that gap, that space tackling one hour of Twin Peaks, the TV show. What about the movie? What about the fact it's two hours and 15 minutes? Did you think it's going to be overwhelming for a lot of viewers? Uh, if you are not into this type of film, yeah, like an, a casual viewer to go into this, I think it would be overwhelming because there's a there's a ton of characters because you get characters returning from the show. You get new characters coming in. It's covering a lot of ground. I mean, it does have a lot of time, but it is, I think it would be pretty overwhelming, personally. I mean, just look at um, my other half, Hannah. She hates Twin Peaks with an absolute passion. She thinks it's (laughs) absolute nonsense and a load of noise. 
I was watching Firewalk with me earlier when she got home and she's just like, what is this nonsense? I don't understand how you like any of this. And I'm just like, it's amazing. It's the best. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to imagine too, you know, the average moviegoer who say never watched the show, this movie played in theaters, which is almost like a joke unto itself. You know, nowadays it would be the sort of thing that maybe fans would <laughs> pay for and it would get like a one night only type thing. But this did play in theaters to very poor reviews, I should say, back in the day. How many people sitting through this movie who've just walked in on a Friday night buying a ticket are seeing the first 20, 25 minutes with Chris Isaac investigating right. something and making any sense of it whatsoever. And then he just vanishes after a shot of him grabbing a ring. Like that would really throw people, especially yeah. the tone completely changes after that. We get a lot of that kind of folksy Twin Peaks humor in that first 25. And then it's just down this downward spiral of, in many ways, misery. I think it's the yeah. darkest, most nasty david lynch film which is saying something because he's made some very harsh films that is saying something okay it's, it's interesting when you think about that idea of it being in a cinema because who is the audience for this film yeah i mean i remember this is some years ago do you remember they um did a crowdsourcing for a veronica mars movie mm -hmm. yep. yeah so like i was not a veronica mars watcher at all but a bunch of my friends were going to see the movie and they were like hey you should come you know, we've all watched the show, but, you know, you'd be interesting to, you know, see what this movie's like for someone who didn't watch the show. It, is there an entry point for someone who's never seen it? And I sat through that movie baffled and confounded as to what I was watching. I didn't understand almost anything that was going on. I feel like that's going to be the case for a lot of people that just approach Fire Walk With Me on its own. They might be able to trace the story of Laura Palmer, which I think that works as an isolated story, I think. But they might question why they should care. Like, why do I care about watching this character self-destruct for two hours? Um, the stuff with Chris Isaacs, they're going to throw up their hands. The pop-ins from other characters are going to be completely baffled by. Yeah. But I think, like, you're kind of just hoping they care enough about Laura Palmer. But I don't know. Like, does that work for the average person? That's a real question mark for me. I, I agree. And honestly, I didn't realize this had a theatrical release. So... That's kind of, I didn't look that up and that's kind of surprising. Like, I didn't know what, what station, like what channel was Twin Peaks on as a show? Um, was it CBS, Scott? It not wasn't CBS. It was either NBC or ABC. Really? Okay. So it was one of the major networks though. It wasn't like a premium channel, like a no. Showtime or something. No, Isn't no. Isn't that where the return showtime. came back? Didn't it come back yeah. to Showtime? Yeah. That, that's kind of what I was thinking. I, and so I just assumed that this was Showtime and that that was a Showtime movie, not a theatrical one. And you've got to think, like, Twin Peaks itself was an, an, uh, was an event show. There was, like, Twin Peaks watch parties. It was, for a year, it was the talk of the town. And then, you know, second season gets trashed, and then they go, oh, we're doing a film. So Twin Peaks fans are going to turn up to see this show, or see this film, but then they deliver this mixed message of some Twin Peaks storylines, some not. Some random characters are popping in and out. David Bowie yeah. is here. <laughs> okay. I still feel like I hallucinated David Bowie's appearance in this film. Well, we do live inside a dream, Cam. That's very true. But even like, you know, they're throwing in elements of the end of season two here, where it's like, what would that mean to someone who had not watched the show? Wait, the, the bit where Annie turns up, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, even Josh. Yeah. Perfect, perfect example. You haven't seen the end of season two. Nope. So that, that part in the film where Laura wakes up or sort of semi-wakes up in a dream and there's that lady laying next to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't did know that, what was going on. Did, I mean, did that do anything for you? No, I was like, uh, what, what, what is this? I was like, okay. 
Yeah, I was kind of lost. I, I'm not gonna lie, I was lost there in this movie. I, I'm actually more fascinated because uh, me and Cam love this film, but we are massive Twin Peaks fans. I'm kind of keen to hear what you think about this film. <clears throat> so just just lay it on me. What what do you think of Twin Peaks Firewalk? Uh, I could, even though I watched the first season, I don't know. Like I said, because I binge watched or what, I wasn't that into it. Like I, I understood, I got the Laura, Laura Palmer stuff, like you said, but overall, I don't. I, I'm I'm gonna revisit it. I'm promising you guys, I'm going to revisit it. I think otherwise, I probably wouldn't, honestly. And if I just came across this movie without any context, I don't know that I would have even kept it on, and I definitely wouldn't revisit if I did. It's a movie that there's a lot of movies. For example, let's just name a big mainstream friendly one, like say Raiders of the Lost Ark. If someone said to you, Raiders of the Lost Ark is stupid and I hate it, you might be like, you're wrong, here's why. Because there's so many reasons as to why Raiders is so awesome, right? (laughs) Or Back to the Future, Star Wars, you know, that sort of thing, Jaws. But like Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, and someone came to me and said, I hate this movie, I'd be like, yeah, I can't blame you. Like, I I was like, yeah, I can understand that. It's not. I would just, to me, when someone says that about a movie like this, I'd be like, it's not for everyone. You know, this is, it's got a certain audience that it's going to be, it's not going to please everyone. Do you know when we like look back on pieces of, of work, music, film, TV and go, Oh, we didn't know what we were missing. Say like Firefly as a TV show canceled after six episodes. Everyone now goes, why did they get rid of it? It's a work of art. I don't feel like you can look back on Firewalk with me and say necessarily it's a work of art without really loving Twin Peaks the show and the return and david lynch and david lynch yeah i I think david lynch plays a big part into that i agree i think that yes but you have to buy into the character of laura palmer you have to care if you don't care what happened to laura palmer then this 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 film has nothing to revolve around I, i agree and if you haven't seen the show to get those feelings of care this character you see isn't one you want to care for a whole lot honestly from the movie itself well, like what I find fascinating about it too is like Cheryl Lee's performance, I think is incredible. Like she is so committed throughout and she's someone who I just wish had gotten more opportunities than she did after the whole Twin Peaks story had kind of ended. But um, what I find fascinating is I saw some, I've read a lot of bad reviews for this movie. I've read a lot of great reviews of this movie, but I've noticed that a lot of people that don't like it will point to the fact they never feel like they understand Laura Palmer when the movie's over. And I think that's very much by intention. She says in the movie, you know, she's been basically being raped since she was 12 years old by this mystery character, Bob. We are seeing her at 17. This is someone who has been through abuse for five years. The walls are up. She has become this impenetrable figure who's in many ways just on a one, you know, she's on a direct course to self-destruction throughout the movie. So it's more about the experience. We're experiencing the last days of Laura Palmer versus having this intimate look at, who are you really, Laura? Uh, Laura, right. Tell us how you tick. Like, I feel like she's shutting off not just the other characters, but the audience as well. But I, nonetheless, I find the experience of just watching this sort of descent into destruction just fascinating on itself. And I'd say David Lynch really has written a, a masterful script, or partly at least anyway, because like you see what Laura does for the people around her and tries to protect people on her way down. You know, what, what she does for, um, name escapes me, Donna. Donna, Donna, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, not played by Lara Flynn Boyd. Lara I Flynn was going to talk about that. Yeah, that Boyle. Was disappointing. Boyle, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was apparently a scheduling conflict. It wasn't like a uh, I don't want to okay. do this. Um, yeah. So, but it's played by Moira Kelly, who I know from The West Wing. 
but um, she's fine in the role. But yeah, you, you see that she, she's protecting people around her and you kind of want to almost go in the screen and rescue Laura. And other characters don't seem to really recognize it. They all kind of want something from her. You see a lot of the male characters are after her for various things, whether it's like a James who's like, just love me, just love me sort of thing, or something more salacious like the guys you see in the bar or something like that. Like it's more of a predatory thing. But the point is no one actually seems to recognize her as a human who's in severe trouble. The only character I've always wondered who is onto something is her mother. Sarah Palmer, who we see in these, all these scenes in that house, just smoking cigarettes constantly. And it's like, this woman is tormented, but not speaking about what's tormenting her. She knows something. And the fact that she sees a white horse, um, you know, the night basically where uh, Laura Palmer dies, you know, a white horse symbolizes death which is something, um, you know, Rob Zombie really went to town on in Halloween 2, of course. That was a big thing for him. Yes. I think, didn't he also put text at the start of Halloween 2 basically saying a white horse means death? <laughs> he does put that text, and then he comes out and says, people are looking too much into the white horse. And I'm like, no, 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 you make it a focal point at the beginning. But anyway, anyways. <laughs> right. But, you know, here we have that scene where Sarah Palmer's in bed, and, you know that horse shows up and Laura Palmer dies. It's like, we always kind of know that Sarah's in on it. And I think the movie gives you more context for that relationship than the show ever really does. Like, I think mm -hmm. I walked away from this movie with more of an understanding of Sarah Palmer, which I don't know that the average audience member cared about, but I cared about a lot. And you think about where the show picks up Donna's character. Um, and she's like hiding a lot of the stuff she knows about Laura um, she's almost embarrassed about the whole thing with James uh, and I kind of just think this feeds into that as well and I think I I would say Donna has an idea about what's going on with Laura because well, she experiences it firsthand some of it at least um, oh yeah I agree yeah she's probably the only other one with insight into the destruction of Laura Palmer what I find also interesting about this movie is the way it sort of recontextualizes Twin Peaks as a property in a way where there's a real like fate um, sort of energy to this movie like that's one of the big themes is that Laura Palmer is going to de be destroyed by the end of the movie we know this and so it is this this one track course where it's all about watching this downward spiral and there is this character is fated to die right from moment one of this movie but you also see just the way that like you know Dale Cooper understands things to do with Twin Peaks. He understands where th that this murder, at a certain point, they ask him to predict what the next murder is going to be. Right. And it all kind of pops into his head. And a lot of this is his predictions are going to be the fate as well. So it's these kind of two characters. It's fated characters. You know how like the Star Wars prequels tried to do that, where it suddenly it was like, see, all these characters were fated to wind up where they were in the originals. I feel like they're kind of doing that here. The show doesn't give you that sense of destiny to the characters but the movie imbues it with that a little more where these characters were sort of destined to wind up where they do. So was character of Dale Cooper back for the return? Like how many people were back for the return? Cause like it picks up 25 years later, I guess that would be the timeline. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I think it's actually 27 years in reality, but they, I think they okay. just say it's 25 years because of what Laura says to, to Dale in the show. Okay. Um, they, uh, the lion's share of the cast is back. There are some notable exclusions like Donna doesn't, show up in the return but by and large pretty much everyone does and also a lot of people from fire walk with me yeah all oh. characters referenced at least things like that even even all uh philip uh, philip jeffries turns up oh okay then so, david bowie's dead at the <laughs> yeah, time david so bowie. you figure that one out i don't know 
yeah, the um the continuing story of Philip Jeffries is something that um is <laughs> beyond bizarre because you get that brief David Bowie scene in this movie that I'm sure Josh was probably completely befuddling to you, right? Yeah, I was like, what is what is what is this? Yeah, I didn't know what I was like, what am I <laughs> Did the, the, the stream switch on me? I didn't even know. Like, what is going on here? And if you watch, um, I have the Criterion of um, Firewalk with me, and it comes with a special feature called The Missing Pieces that has 90 minutes of deleted scenes or extended scenes from this movie assembled in chronological order. And you get more of the Philip Jeffrey stuff, but not quite enough to make complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> and he does get revisited in The Return and... Um, I don't know that Philip Jeffries ever makes 100% sense. <laughs> but it's glorious nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But you, you've actually let me ask an interesting thing, Cam. It's just about the missing pieces and this uh, these additional scenes and deleted scenes, extended scenes. Um, especially the, the Philip Jeffries and the convenience store scene, which are in this uh, theatrical release, melded into one scene, which is kind of hard to figure out what anything's going on because you've got Philip Jeffries screaming whilst you've got sort of people talking backwards about Garmin Bosier. Uh, you, you don't know what's going on. And I imagine Josh was just scratching yep. your head at that yep. time. Like, yep. yeah. But in the extended, the deleted scenes, you get both scenes completely uncut and they make way more sense separate. I mean, not a lot of sense, but right. more sense. <laughs> so, yeah, come on, Scott. <laughs> well, I'm guessing at already at two hours, 15 minutes, they had to, they had to commit cut somewhere. That's already, especially... In the early '90s, you didn't see a lot of a whole lot of movies come out over two hours like you do now. Like with the whole MCU, almost every one of their movies is over two hours, so people are programmed to expect that these days versus back what, then. What are you talking about? The Chet, the Chet Desmond stuff was amazing. It was the best bit of the film. I, I just want to see him and Kiefer Sutherland, you know, going around. Yeah, I was surprised and... to see those two show up. I was like, okay, yeah, I wanted to see more of them. Actually, a little bit more. Anyway. I thought the most insane one was Jurgen Prochnow, who's an actor. He was in Das Boot. He's in tons of stuff. Um, but he shows up in the scenes in the Black Lodge just like with like a beard doing nothing. <laughs> and he gets a credit in the opening. And you're just like, wow, how weird to pay this guy. I mean, he would have had a higher fee than a nobody by a considerable right. amount. And they cast him to do nothing. <laughs> Is he the dude doing the backwards knee slaps? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Bizarre. Yeah, actually, that's a question, Josh. What did you think of all the scenes in sort of this Black Lodge, Red Room, whatever you want to call it, with the characters talking backwards? Strange hallucination. That's how I felt like I was hallucinating while watching it. Like, uh, am I focusing correctly? Like, I was lost. This movie, I'm like, like I said, I want to go back, revisit this. And for those wanting to do that that don't know, it's the first two seasons are on Netflix. And I know the movie, like you said, it's on Criterion edition because it's also on the criterion channel mm-hmm. one that has that it might i don't know about the return if it's streaming anywhere I, I would guess showtime since it was a showtime show i would guess if you have showtime yeah it might be on cbs all access too i might be don't quote me on that but i think uh, it might be it's not on anything here no but oh that's that's the uk for you so it's different true i am in the u.s so that that that's where i saw it streaming so mm-hmm. yes <laughs> Let's go into casting a little bit. Is there anybody you would like to see? I don't know. I know you guys have loved these characters too long. There's probably no one you'd want to see recast. Oh, okay, Scott, maybe. Sometimes your look made me think you have a thought, and then you're like, no, not really. I, I Classic Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost. No, not quite. 
I, I do think it was a shame to see Donna Hayward recast, but in terms of if I'd like to have seen anyone recast, I would maybe have recast Philip Jeffries. You think it's too distracting having David Bowie because an audience who's seeing his name in the credits is going to be very disappointed when, well, David Bowie's on screen for, I don't know, is it 90 seconds? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, less than, I think, actually. You hear him screaming off screen a lot of the time, I suppose, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I think uh, you, half the people in there would expect him to start singing Starman. And, <laughs> and, you know, the other people just confused her. Who is this geezer? You just had 25 <laughs> minutes of these two detectives you have no idea about. And them having some weird, you know, pissing match with the local police force. <laughs> yeah, that's insane at that point. And then you've got him screaming and then you're in Twin Peaks. So, yeah, I could, I, I almost would like a bit more of a grounded choice of actor, maybe. Someone no one knows just doing that. Yeah, for role. a small role as that was, I think you could get away with that. Yeah, because I agree. Seeing David Bowie's name, I was like, okay, obviously you know Bowie. And then you get that. Very short, like you say, getting some did voice you, work from him on the side, I guess. Did you know Bowie was in the film, Josh? I mean, when the credits started. I'm just talking about when I saw his name in the credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I did not know going in he was going to be in it. Yeah, like with casting, it's tough because I think a lot of the movies we, you know, you're going to talk about on this podcast in general – it's easy because it's just a movie only entity, right? right like right. you can yep. pick any movie and it's like, okay, I would like to see this character maybe recast with this sh- film. Obviously it's such a weird beast and that it's carrying over so many cast members from the show that audiences have fallen in love with. So they don't right. want to see them recast. That's the problem. The one though, I do agree though, Moira Kelly is Donna. It just feels like such an entirely different personality and, and, yep approach to Donna that it's nothing against Moira Kelly who I think is a really good actress it's just that it doesn't feel the same it doesn't feel like Donna I I think it's more a credit to Lara Flynn Boyle than a knock against Moira Kelly because of what she's like I only saw her in the first season but she's in season two right um yeah yeah so yeah for people that have definitely seen both seasons you're definitely gonna have a big connection to her actually you know what I might have one actually for recasting oh okay Uh, um, James, uh, the character of James, <laughs> who is, um, not just, uh, he's played by James Hurley, but, um, or sorry, James Marshall's the actor. James Hurley's the character. <laughs> I can never figure out on the show if we're supposed to actually think James is cool because sometimes the show and film seems to think he is, whereas he's not the most charismatic of uh, individuals. So I could see recasting him with, if we are going for more of a James Dean type, I think there's other actors that would maybe also bring across the cool factor that, you know, is a little lacking with James Marshall. Okay. I have a question for both of you. Um, Josh, actually, I'd be more interested to hear your opinion because you've seen some of Twin Peaks, but not all of Twin Peaks. Right. One of the actors missing from this film and the characters is the character of Audrey Horn, played by Sherilyn Finn. Finn, yeah. And I get why she's not in it. There was actually a conflict between her and, and David Lynch at the time because she felt like David Lynch had abandoned the show, uh, allegedly, I should say. But um, And she does return in The Return. Oh, okay. So there's more Audrey in your future, don't worry. But And also, you don't see any of the great... the great Is it the Great Northwestern? Yeah, I think so. The, the big hotel, right? The big hotel, yeah. yeah. And you don't see any of the Horn family at all. Right. You just hear about them. But she does feel like a very important part of the TV show. So yep. it would have been nice to have seen her Co- in the film. Completely agreed. I was surprised she wasn't in it because she was a big part, like I said, of the first season, because that's all I can go by. And she was a big part of that. And I was kind of, I, I was kept expecting her to show up at some point. 
it is weird because she is such a big part of the show. There's peripheral characters on the show that don't pop up in the movie or like Big Ed, for example, um, does have some stuff in the deleted scenes, but he's not in the movie. You kind of get it because his story is very rarely central to what's going on on the show. But Audrey Horn seems very crucial. That one bugs me. Another one that actually kind of bugs me too is Russ Tamblin as her um, psychiatrist. Um, you know, he is more of a recurring character than like a lead on the show, but I feel like this movie needed a little more insight maybe into Laura's psychology. Like the, it didn't need it necessarily, but I think it would have been maybe helpful for audiences. And that character would serve that role of actually being able to have some conversations with Laura about what she's going through. Although the way he's depicted in the deleted scenes, he, he seems pretty incompetent. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like we said, the length of this film required a bunch to be cut i'm guessing i'm guessing anyway because it's already long what would what would you cut do you cut the first 25 with isaac and sutherland to just get into the twin peaks world like what where are you cutting so you can add this stuff in i think that's why you have to do it i think that's the only choice you have that's that's where where my mind goes you gotta just cut that beginning off and get get right into twin peaks but leave the tv being smashed (laughs) (laughs) i mean if you're asking me as a fan of the movie i'm like no you don't you dare take away that 20 minutes of just like weirdness i love lil the dancer sending clues through some bizarre moment like i love stuff like that (laughs) yeah but um in terms of actually looking at it holistically as a movie yeah (laughs) it it, it makes no sense really it doesn't contribute a lot so i I can totally make sense yeah i don't want to spend any more time in deer meadow (laughs) <laughs> awful town I'm, I'm more of a twin peaks guy the uh, haps diner is not a place to be yeah but i i what do you think about scott like keeping the you know david lynch and with you know working with the fbi as gordon cole maybe if you keep the cooper stuff later on in the film maybe like yeah. him him predicting what's going on but then that the gordon cole scene almost needs the the chester desmond stuff because they find the body they find the tea that yeah. kind of flows. Um, th- this film, really what it hinges on is the death of Laura Palmer and her final days. So if, so- if someone said to David Lynch, hey, you need to drop 30 minutes of this film, I think that's what you have to, you have to cut. So yeah. it becomes the question of, are you more interested in a linear story that is just you know beginning to end, holds together? Or do you want David Lynch craziness? And I think the demands of the audience is very different. Like people are going to feel very strongly one way or the other. Some people want the David Lynch flights of fancy. I want Lil the dancer. (laughs) Damn it. Don't you dare take that from me. But I can understand a lot of people being like, why don't you just cut all this and focus entirely on the story of Laura? I don't know. Like I do wonder, you know, Josh, you're maybe the best person to answer this because the story of Laura Palmer is very grim. It is a very grim maybe what like 90 to 100 minute long story of Laura's descent to her death it's it's horrible in a lot of ways very grim stuff does the comedy of that first 25 minutes at least inject some energy into the movie that they're going to be robbed of through a good chunk of the rest of it yep yep that first I mean especially if well if you go into this without having seen anything definitely because you don't even like at least if you've seen Twin Peaks a little bit like I have you'll have a little bit of an idea once they get to Twin Peaks that maybe what's coming. So if you go in without it and you get that first 2025, it's setting you up for a completely different movie than what you end up with for the next hour and a half. (laughs) David Lynch is a guy who I feel like 
when you approach him and explain to him, you know, how storytelling works, character arcs, what an audience expects from their story, he would just give you a blank stare. Yeah, he just, that's not what he's interested in. No, he's like an abstract (laughs) artist and he's going to basically just like hurl his colors all over the the canvas and nothing else he can do about it. And so I kind of appreciate that. Like, I understand why people don't look at Firewalk with me on the same level as like Mulholland Drive or Blue Velvet, for example, because those are more cohesive visions coming from him. But that's why I think so many people have had this reappraisal of Fire Walk With Me and digging into it as a crucial Lynch work that although a mess has all the elements that he's going to refine a little bit later and that it's just kind of him exercising all these demons of what he'd built up over all these years of making that show Twin Peaks for better or for worse. And I'll say, you know, all of his other films don't have this baggage. Yeah. Twin Peaks as a name has a lot of baggage with it. Yep. People were so disappointed that the show ended um, and they came in with certain, ex- certain expectations in 1992 and none of those expectations were met. So I can definitely understand why this film flopped in the, in the theaters. That being said, I think David Lynch just said, sod your expectations. And I think that is actually a more interesting stand to take. And that's exactly why it has been sort of reapprised. And we look at so many movies nowadays, you know, you referenced the Marvel movies earlier, Josh, but that's a really great example because what Marvel's done, and I am a big fan of a lot of the Marvel movies, so I'm not, I'm not dragging them by any stretch of the imagination, but what they've done is give the audience and the fans what they want and expect. They may surprise them and take twists on things, but they make very fan friendly films. And that's become something that's expected now. And You know, around Christmas, I was watching Batman Returns, which is one of my favorite superhero movies. And that's a movie that Tim Burton has no idea what a fan of Batman really wants. He's completely going in wild and crazy directions. He's doing interesting things. And it is an artistic vision. Whether you like it or not, that's up to you. And I feel like that's what David Lynch does. You know, he takes his approach to something you love. He doesn't really know or understand what you love about it or why what you want out of it, but he's going to make his artistic vision. And it's up to you to decide where you stand on it. We don't really make movies like that anymore. And I kind of love Firewalk With Me for that reason. That does feel like the sort of thing we used to do. And that for at least a certain you know cult of fans, things could be very, very important and they could be really passionate about it and find meaning in it that maybe some of these larger, more widespread fan-pleasing efforts don't quite do. There, there aren't, you know, five hour long YouTube explanation videos for, you know, Captain America Civil War. <laughs> sure. And I'm a big fan of that movie. It's a really su- super fun movie. But yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, you'll get the odd like 10 minute video of, hey, 10 things you missed in this film. Right. No one cares about that. But I've watched six hour videos explaining Twin Peaks and this person's interpretation of it. Multiple people. And I like to hear people's interpretation because they're all different. And people right. can take different things away from this story and this film in particular. Yeah, like there, there are people that are going to say, this movie made me intensely uncomfortable. And I really struggled with it because of how unflinching David Lynch is in terms of depicting what Laura goes through. And those people are just as right as Scott and I are in saying this movie's great. Like those people who say it's uncomfortable and they can't imagine sitting through it, they're not wrong. Like, wow. that's what I kind of love about David Lynch. He holds up a mirror and it's up for, to you to decide what you see in there. Like it's, you know, he's going to give you an experience. It's up to you what you do with the experience. I think you guys have summed up Firewalk with me very well. I think uh, 
if you decide whether or not you're going to watch this by now, I think that decision has been made. <laughs> I don't think there's any more <laughs> you guys can say. So I think we're going to wrap this one up today, fellas. So why don't you go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you online? Sure. I mean, for spies, we're pretty easy to find. Um, basically, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S. Um, and new episodes every Tuesday. Just search your favorite podcast app. We're basically like um, Roger Moore, James Bond, where we just walk around everywhere and just say, hey, we're spies. We're James Bond. <laughs> everyone knows who we are. <laughs> Celebrity spies. <laughs> There you go. And as always, you can find us at YNF Movie Pod. We're on Twitter and Instagram, available wherever you get your podcast. I'll be back next week with a different guest and a completely different movie than this one. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that one will become your next favorite movie. You guys take care. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>